Do you remember, uh, I guess those old enough, do you remember uh, Ed Bradley? He was, uh, he was one of the guys on uh, 60 Minutes. He was a journalist. He um, had a couple of pretty famous interviews, uh, famous people really that he interviewed. Uh, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, Bob Dylan. Um, so he was kind of noted for that. Before 60 Minutes, he covered the White House. Uh, before that, he covered the Vietnam War. He did this uh, interview. This was during his 60 Minutes years. It was kind of interesting. It was with this family. Um, the story was about miracles. And I guess the question of, are miracles real or not? Um, so this family was this mother and father and a uh, little girl. I think she was about 10. She had, uh, the girl had spina bifida. So she was pretty seriously, uh, you know, disabled. Um, the father, he uh, really struggled with uh, depression and uh, anxiety. So he was, you know, he was in pretty serious shape as well. Um, but it was really, the story was about this girl um, the family used to make this trip, an annual trip, to uh, Lourdes in France every summer. Uh, that's where the, the Blessed Mother appeared um, about 160 years ago. Many miracles attributed to that place. Anyway, this interview, uh, Ed Bradley was kind of annoying. Um, he had this sort of patronizing tone, the way he was talking to these people. He was almost, it was subtle, but I think he could catch it. He was kind of talking down to them, like they were just simple, kind of simplistic people, um, almost like, like they were gullible. And anyway, at one point in this interview, he, talks, he points to the girl, and he asks her this question. Real simple, he said, when you pray, what do you pray for? And she, like without pause, without a second, she goes, uh, I pray for my dad. I pray that his sadness will go away. The sadness makes him shy, and that makes him lonely. And uh, Ed Bradley, his reaction was interesting. He looked a little, or a lot, stunned. He was sort of taken back by it, kind of flustered. It's not what he was expecting. He thought she was going to say, yeah, I'd like to um, talk about her, her issues. But she didn't. She talked about her father. Um, so he kind of regroups, and uh, then he goes to the mother. And uh, again, sort of in this sort of skeptical tone, he talks about these trips that they go to to Lourdes, and he goes, uh, why do you spend so much money each year with, with no miracle? And she responded as fast as her daughter did, like, no, no pause at all, she said. So the question was, why are you spending so much money with no miracle? And she goes, uh, Mr. Bradley, you don't get it. We have our miracle. And he kind of didn't know what to say. He didn't get it. 
He had his mind set. There was only the only miracle that mattered, the only miracle that was worth covering or reporting, was this girl and her health and her recovery. How about the miracle of a, of a daughter's love? How about the miracle of perseverance? Well, the miracle of a family held together by faith. I think he just missed it, Ed Bradley. You know, and I'm not beating up on Ed Bradley, but I just think it was missed by his probably secular, skeptical eyes and ears. Her daughter's disabled. Her husband's battling depression. And she's pointing to miracles. This mother, this wife. She recognized something that I don't think Ed Bradley could even imagine. I think in a way it's this gospel. That family, that mother, that daughter, all of them. I think they almost make sense out of this really kind of hard-to-understand gospel. Jesus says, so when you're poor, you're blessed. And when you're hungry and sad, you're also blessed. And when you're hated and insulted, still blessed. And when your kid has spina bifida, or your husband's not himself, blessed. I mean, that's tough, isn't it? That kind of doesn't really make a lot of sense. I don't think Ed Bradley's the only one who would struggle and who does struggle with those words. Why should sadness or insult or disability be seen as a blessing? Jesus says... That's the way it plays out. It just doesn't seem to make sense, I think, to most of us. But it has to. Because Jesus said it. It's got to be true. If anybody else said these words, you could write them off. You could be like, ah, I don't think so. That's a little out there. It doesn't make sense. That person's wrong. Jesus isn't wrong. Jesus can't be wrong. So... In the course of a year, I don't know, a couple of times throughout the year, on a Sunday, we get a gospel that I think most of us are like, ah, what was he saying? Could he, have been, could he have been having a bad day? Yeah, he didn't have bad days. He certainly didn't get it wrong. So I think what we then have to do when we get these really tough ones, we got to sit with them. I think a lot of times what we do is we just blow them off. We just pass, and we go to next Sunday. Well, don't. Let's not. As much as we probably all do at times, it's not okay to say that Jesus was wrong. It's okay to say, I don't really understand it. Doesn't make sense to me. I I have a tough time with it. Fine. But he's not wrong. He can't be wrong. So we're foolish if we blow this off. 
Because it's going to come back to bite us. It's going to come back to haunt us. Because we're going to approach life in not quite the right way. I remember uh, about, maybe about two and a half years ago, it was, it was definitely before COVID, I had a funeral. And it was this uh, older woman who died, and the daughter got up and spoke, uh, gave a eulogy. She was tremendous, this eulogy. And she talked about her mom's, just her great life and all different aspects of her life. But then the most compelling part, she talked about the end of her life. And she said it wasn't easy. For the last six months or something, she, she really struggled. She had been a very independent person her whole life, and now she just had to rely on others. And she was in pain. So this daughter said she, uh, I think she more or less moved in with her and cared for her for the last months of her life. And I remember she said something to the effect of like, a lot of the important things in my life, I kind of put them on hold for something more important, which was being with my mother. And then she said like, it was the saddest time of her life, both of them really. Her mother was suffering. Her mother was dying. But then she said, the daughter said, but I'm, I wouldn't take those weeks back, those months back for anything. I'm so grateful that I had that time with her. I mean, I wish she was still here. But you couldn't put price on the time I spent with her. She spent with her. She said she became closer to her, and I think she always was close, but became even closer in this objectively terrible time. The worst time of your life, and you, you're grateful for it. Maybe that's what he was talking about in this strange gospel. Like when we're in our objectively terrible moments to be able to be like no, I still see the miracles God still happens maybe not quite the way I wish he happened and I wish in some aspects life would go in other directions but even when it doesn't doesn't mean God's not there doesn't mean there isn't grace there is, doesn't mean there isn't reason for, for gratitude Maybe it's this. Maybe part of what Jesus was saying was, don't judge your life by your current circumstances. Your circumstance doesn't define you. It may impact you, but it doesn't define you unless you let it. Certainly it didn't define that mother and wife who had reason to be discouraged and maybe disillusioned, but she wasn't. She was talking about miracles. Maybe it's this. Maybe really this is what Jesus was getting at. Who has your heart? Who or what has your heart? I mean, I hope you're like, well, lots of, lots of people, lots of things have my heart. It's a big list. It should be. I hope it is. But who has most of your heart? I think that's a big one. Who really has 
most of your heart. If it's God, you're going to see the miracles. You're going to point out, you're going to notice miracles when Ed Bradley is looking at you like you're crazy because he doesn't get it. But you'll get it. We get it when we give most of our heart to God. I mean, I think it's what this first reading, Old Testament, Jeremiah, prophet, is talking about. He talks about two people. One guy's cursed and one guy is blessed. One guy lives in the moment. He trusts only in people and the flesh. And he's really, he turns his heart from God. And this is how he, sends, he says he'll end up. He'll end up like a dried out, lifeless, barren bush in the desert. Pretty much dead. Not even, a, not even a remnant of what they once were because they hitched their wagon to people and things and not God. And then the other one is the guy who's blessed. He says the one who trusts in the Lord, who hopes in the Lord. And he'll be the opposite. He'll be like a tree planted by water. And the leaves will always stay green. Even in a drought. Even in a drought you'll notice the miracles. I think it was that mother. I think it was that family. I think it was that daughter and that eulogy that they sort of prove this gospel. They make sense. They like dissect and make sense of this hard-to-get gospel. I should be blessed because I'm sad. I should be blessed because I'm, I've been insulted. I should be blessed because I'm hungry. Well, if we make God number one, despite the drought, the leaves stay green. You know, there was this book that came out about six or seven years ago. It was pretty interesting, actually appropriate for today. This was the name of the book. Is there life after football? Surviving the NFL. It was interesting. It was written by these two sociologists and a, a former NFL Linebacker, He played for the Packers in the 90s. I, I forget his name. Anyway, they, the three of these guys interviewed hundreds of retired NFL players. For many of these retired guys, it's not good. Their lives have sort of imploded, like a scary percentage. And they look at these stats... And they try and make sense, like, why are these guys who are on top of the world, why do they fall off the cliff when they retire? Part of it's very objective stuff. It's injuries, especially head injuries. A lot's been done about the concussions and how that's affected sort of the mental health of, of so many retired players. But that's not even the focus of this book. The book kind of says way more than that. It talks about these guys who really made football. Football had their heart. I asked before, what has your heart? Who has your heart? Football had their heart. Like, for most of them, from when they were little kids, they don't remember not playing football. Then high school, then college. Like, and it gets bigger and the glory gets more, the adulation, and then they make the pros. 
Like it doesn't get any better. And then they kind of live for a couple of years in this like bubble of privilege, even before the NFL. But certainly once you make the pros, it's like, I'm just this walking, talking, privileged, just living this incredible life. And then it's over. Maybe it's an injury that ends the career. Maybe it's a little more gradual. But bottom line is, you don't play football forever. In fact, you don't even play for very long. They say three quarters of retired NFL players are either, are either unemployed, bankrupt, or divorced within two years of their last game. So within two years of retirement, three quarters are either divorced, bankrupt, or are without a job. It's like football had their heart. And that was the mistake. Hey, there's nothing wrong with football having part of your heart, but it pretty much had all of their heart. They become the cursed guy in Jeremiah's word reading. They're like this dried out dead bush because everything that they hitch their life to is now gone. But when it's God, the droughts come, but they don't do us in. Man, if football is everything, what happens when there's no more football? Well, most people would be like, well, of course, of course, I would never make football everything. Really? I know people who do, and I think you do too. They won't really admit it, but like sports has become like the passion of their lives, the passion of their, their kids' lives. There's kind of almost nothing more important. It's messed up. He's not going to make the pros. Like, he's probably not even going to make college ball. But they think they are. And maybe they will. Maybe they make the pros. And then they retire. And what's their life look like then? If everything was pretty much football or something else, not, nothing against football, There's like the blessed guy and the cursed guy. If I make God kind of everything, like even over my husband or wife, even over my kids or my job or my parents, and I know that's, that's like, whoa, whoa, slow down. No, if I make God more than even those people, then those people are going to get the best version of me. So who has your heart? Let God steal yours.